You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 95. Hey there, Impact Driver. Welcome to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard, and today we are going to tackle the tough topic of being a PMO of one. How do you successfully build and deliver PMO services that are really going to make an impact in the organization when there's only one of you? Is it possible for you to be successful when you're just starting out, or even if your PMO has been around for a while and there's still only one of you, or even worse, there were more people that were a part of the PMO, but they had to get moved to go rescue other projects or do other things. And there you are left standing with just one of you and a lot of services and capabilities that need to be delivered. Can you be successful? What would success look like? And how can you ensure that you're making the impact your PMO needs to make without losing your sanity or sleep in the process. We're diving into all of this and so much more in today's episode. Now, for any of you listening that are saying, well, I have a team, it's not just me. I'm gonna skip this episode. I'd suggest you stick around. I think you're gonna find that the tips that I'm sharing here apply to you too, because I can guess that you probably don't have all of the resources you need And your scope is always going to be bigger than the number of resources or amount of funding that you have. So I'm going to help you figure out ways that you can continue to maximize your return on investment for the number of resources you have. So stick around and we will address your concerns too. Before we dive in, this episode is sponsored by the Impact Engine PMO Training and Implementation Program. Many of the students that come into the Impact Engine PMO Program are starting out as PMOs of one. And what we teach them is how to make the biggest impact they can make with many of the tips I'll share here today and so many more. We give you step-by-step-by-step guidance on exactly what to do, where you should focus your energy, and how you can maximize the return on investment for the PMO and all of your time and energy by knowing exactly what to do, how to do it, and where you can make the biggest difference in your organization, even as a PMO of one. This is not just a training program. Sure, I'm absolutely going to share with you all of my best secrets and tips and tricks from being in this PMO and change management space for 25 years. And I help you build your implementation plan, not just for the first 90 days, but for every iteration of your PMO so that it can continue to deliver new services and value and impact which leads to that huge return on investment with an evolutionary approach to implementing a PMO. Just because you're a PMO of one does not mean you have to go it alone. This is a self-paced step-by-step program that leaves you in charge every step of the way. And you can also join our coaching group and be with your peers that are going through the same thing you're going through in different organizations around the world. I'd love to have you join us. Just go to 
iepmo.com. And I'll tell you a little bit more about what you can expect inside this life-changing program right on that page. That's iepmo.com. Okay, let's dive in. So can you really be successful as a PMO of one? Absolutely. And it's probably going to require you to get a little creative or maybe even a little scrappy in figuring out how to be successful when you don't have unlimited resources or unlimited time or unlimited capacity. And isn't that how most projects are? Isn't that the world we live in every day? The world of not enough, not enough time, not enough resources, not enough attention from your sponsor to get decisions made and keep things moving. This is a world we live in, in project management. And if your PMO is a PMO of one, then that's the world you continue to live in with figuring out how you can deliver on services and capabilities for the organization in a way that still drives impact. So that's where we're going to start today. Tip number one. Treat the setup of your PMO like a project. Now, if you know me, you know that I do not believe that a PMO, an established organization that is delivering services and capabilities, should be treated like a project. If it is being treated like a project, then it's really a project office just associated with a particular project, which means it's going to go away. So if that's your intention with your PMO, is that it's going to go away, then it's probably just a project office and sure, you can have a charter. But if you're trying to build a sustainable business unit, you want to set up a business plan, not a charter for your PMO. Now I talk more about this in episode 87, where I explain that the PMO, if it's meant to be a sustainable business unit, should have a business plan, like all other business units in the organization, treated the same if you wanna be treated the same, right? And at the same time, I do believe that you can apply project management best practices to the conversations you need to have about what your PMO can and should do. You want to have triple constraint conversations on a regular basis about how much time you have, how much scope you're going to be able to deliver, and what it will cost from a resource and budget perspective. Now, while this applies to all PMO leaders, it is especially important that PMO leaders of one remember that you're not going to be able to solve all the world's problems in your organization when it's just you. So you need to have good prioritization discussions with your leadership team to talk about what they care about and the order of importance of the initiatives that they want to undertake to get to the outcomes that they're looking to achieve with your PMO services. Now the trick here is to make sure that everything is prioritized in the order of importance for delivery and that you do a really good assessment process to make sure that the things you are spending time on are the most important to the stakeholders that are making those decisions about your PMO and are expecting to get results from you and your PMO. So what does this look like? when? You are going through the setup process with your PMO. You want to start by first understanding your purpose, your goals, and why you're there in the first place. I have tons of deep dive content on this in earlier podcast episodes, and I suggest you go back and listen to episode 001 through 008, so you can find those on the podcast player you're listening to this on now or on our website at pmostrategies.com 
forward slash 001. You start there and go forward. That's going to help you think through the purpose of the PMO, why you're there, why you're really there, not why the templates, tools, and process police said you're supposed to be there, but what your business leaders say you're supposed to be there for, and give you a good sense of a foundation of what the PMO should be doing in the first place. Then you can hop over to episode 20, which would be pmostrategies.com forward slash 020 to go into the next step that I like to talk about, which is how you assess the organization for those big opportunities. You have to know this first in order to figure out where and how your PMO is going to make an impact. And this is especially critical when you're starting a PMO and when you are a PMO of one, because you've got to get clear on the priorities and the scope. Now, once you've assessed the organization, had all of the stakeholder conversations, really, truly understood the pain points and the opportunities, then you want to prioritize that with your business leaders. And you don't get into time yet or how many of these things you're going to do at once. We'll talk about that in tip number two. But first, you've really got to say, okay, what is the order of importance of these things? And no, they cannot have five number one priorities. Now, there's a particular way you want to have the conversation to get them with you on this prioritization process. You don't talk to them about the services and solutions yet. You're talking to them about the pain points and the opportunities they've identified in their words, in their language. It's so much more effective to have a prioritization discussion with them around what they really need based on the words that they're using. It's relatable. If you start saying, well, we're going to put in a risk management process, are they going to understand that that's the root problem of the pain point they identified? Not necessarily. So when you're doing that first assessment process and that first prioritization process with them, you want to talk in terms of the pains and the opportunities, and that's what they're prioritizing. That's a trick that a lot of people don't know. They will say, okay, well, do you want to prioritize portfolio management and governance and templates and putting a tool in place? Well, they don't really know how that translates to solving their problems. So don't talk about it in those terms. Talk about it in that pain and opportunity language. Then once you've done that, you now have a prioritized list of the problems or opportunities that they want solved. And then you're able to do a little homework to say, what am I actually going to do here to solve this problem? That is what leads to step two and where we have to be super careful. And that is not taking on too much at once. So step one is realizing that we're going to have to have triple constraint conversations. And the first part of that is understanding the scope. Now that you've understood the scope, the next part is understanding your cost, your resource cost, a reasonable time period for delivering all these things. So what you need to do is at a high level, take at least the first five or 10 things that were on their list and look at about how long those things would take to do and how much effort you'd need to be able to put into it. This will be a strong basis for the conversations you'll need to have with them about how much you can actually take on. Now, this is another reason that using their pain and opportunity language back to them in the conversations is going to be important because now what you do is you're going back to them and saying, okay, so here is a roadmap. And in the Impact Engine PMO training and implementation program, I teach students 
a roadmap to follow for services and capability delivery. And I would highly recommend that you use an iterative approach to that roadmap, not, hey, we're going to go work on a bunch of stuff for a year and we'll get back to you in a year and let you know what we've done. Don't do that ever, ever, ever. You do want to have a more iterative approach and showing them value more quickly, which means you want to be able to say, okay, here's what we can do for you in the next 90 days. And by we, I mean just you if it's a PMO of one. If you have a small team, then great, you still have the same conversations, you're just able to handle more scope in a given period of time. So I suggest you have no more than a 90-day period in which you're going to build and start rolling out, even on a pilot basis, those first services and capabilities. So what happens if they say, okay, great, I'm glad you're gonna be able to get to pain one and pain two, but we really need pain three, four, and five addressed as well. Now, this is where most guidance will tell you to say no, and I don't believe that's the way to go at all. I think you should use a much different language with your business leaders because you're building strong relationships with them and they need to trust you and like you, and nobody likes somebody that tells them no all the time. So what do you do instead? You use what I learned in my professional speaking career, yes and. Instead of saying no, you say yes, and here's what it would take to do that. Now, this is a great place for PMOs of one to potentially be able to convince their business leaders that they need more than one person. Because what we did, remember, was we talked about the pain and the opportunities that they identified and in their language. So now you're talking about what you can deliver and when, and you can say yes, and I can get to that item in quarter two or quarter three based on the budget and resources I have. And so now you're putting the control back into their hands, which is where they want it, to say, okay, well, we either have to suck it up and live with not being able to get pain point three, four, and five addressed until later this year, or we find a way to give our PMO leader more resources. Now, this won't always work because there may just not be any money that you can use to get more resources, but you have a much better chance if you're tying the thing they really want and need in their language to your scope and your capacity and your availability and the budgeting that they've given you. So if you are able to get additional support here, that's one of the best ways to do it is hit them right where it hurts, literally in the pain that they've identified and offer that you can create a solution that is going to make their lives so much easier if they're able to provide additional resources to move up the timeline on the services and capabilities that will solve their particular pain point. So you want to say, yes, we can absolutely do this and we can get to it in Q3. And then their response is, ah, I need it sooner than that. And you say, absolutely, we certainly can do that if we can add that additional resource to the team and here's what that would look like. Now this rolls nicely into tip three, which is all about making sure you don't take on too much at once. Here's the trap that I see, especially with PMO leaders starting a new PMO, whether it's their first or their 15th PMO. And I totally get it. I remember being inside organizations and one in particular, where I knew that I had to do the things I'm telling you here about doing all of that assessment work and meeting with my stakeholders and understanding their pain points. And when they would ask, is this something you can do for us? 
My answer was yes, absolutely, we can do that. And what I learned the hard way is if I kept saying yes to everyone about all the things I could do without clarifying the, and here's what it will take, I left a lot of people really impatient with what was taking so long for me to roll out services and capabilities. Because when I went around and talked to 10 different department heads saying, yes, we can do that without having the, and here's what it's going to take conversation, I positioned myself for failure because everyone was expecting their thing to be done first. So in tip two, we talked about really clarifying scope, but in tip three, I want you to think about the impact if you have what I call Thanksgiving eyes, where you really wanna solve all of their problems at once, and so you say, yes, and yes, we can do that, and yes, we can do that. And before you know it, you're in a position where you are disappointing everybody around you because you are trying to do too many things at once. So not only, Do you need to protect yourself from them asking you to do too much? As we talked about in step two, you also need to make sure you don't put too much on your own plate. You've got to make sure that you are reasonable with how much food you put on your plate at Thanksgiving dinner so that you know that you can actually digest it all without making yourself sick, right? So the same applies here. You've got to do a little yes and to yourself and make sure that you take on only a reasonable amount of scope that you can realistically handle, especially if you are a PMO of one. So first we talked about understanding that triple constraint conversation, getting really clear on scope, understanding how to prioritize. Then in tip two, we talked about being very careful not to fall into the trap of letting your business leaders ask for too much all at once and using the yes and conversation and yes and language. And then the third part of that in tip two is making sure that you make it clear that they can absolutely have more if they're able to pony up on resources to solve their pain points and opportunities faster. Now here, I'm making sure you don't fall into the trap of taking on too much yourself. So yes, and yourself like crazy and say, we can do that, but we can't do it all at once because it's just little old me here doing all of this work. So let's talk about what else you can do to not make it just little old you doing all the work. Tip four, what are some creative ways to not have to go it alone? Here's the thing. A lot of people think, well, it's just me. This is all I have access to, and I have to do it all for the organization. And I would suggest that that's not necessarily the case. There are creative ways that you can leverage other people in other parts of the organization to help you. For example, are there project managers in the organization? Are other people doing project-like activities? Are there other people on projects? What if you created a committee or a group or a team of project professionals in the organization that are doing project-like activities, even if they don't call themselves project managers? Can you pull all those people together and have regular lunch and learns, brown bags, or whatever you want to call it, where you get together and talk about various topics in project management, talk about what everyone's doing, where their pain points are, what are potential solutions to the problems people are experiencing? And what could all of you do together in this committee to solve some of those problems? Here's the thing. 
if you've got people that are doing project-like activities and they've got some pain points, which they always do, kind of the nature of the beast with us, right? Well, maybe they would be willing to volunteer a little bit of their time on a weekly basis to help build out some of those services or capabilities or test things or try things out on their projects. What are creative ways that you could engage other people doing project work to volunteer a little bit of their time to contribute to the greater whole. You do this by building a sense of community with that group and a sense that you're all in it together because you are. So are there some things that you could do in your organization to pull the project-like people together and not preach, but engage? Ask questions, talk about what's working for them, what's not, You may find that there are some superstars in your organization that have a really cool set of templates they're using or resources that they're helping them deliver on their projects more effectively. Can that be expanded to be used for everyone? You don't have to reinvent the wheel to bring value to the organization. Find the places that things are working and see what you can utilize that already exists and expand or templatize so that it can be used by everyone in the organization. That's incredibly valuable. So think about ways that you can engage others yourself. You could also consider doing something like a job rotation program where you could borrow resources from other parts of the organization temporarily to help boost their project management knowledge and have them help you create the services and capabilities that need to be delivered. It's not permanent. You're just asking to borrow some time from some people. Maybe it's only part-time. Maybe it's a three-month full-time job rotation. Who knows? Maybe there are ways that you can get creative about borrowing people in the organization to either participate in a committee or then to sit on your team for a short period of time. Now, this can be incredibly important as we get into tip number five. Because you might be thinking, yeah, this is great, but I've barely got any time to spend on building PMO services and capabilities as it is, because not only am I the only PMO person, but they're assigning me to manage projects too. And this is a big one. I have faced this myself when I went into organizations and they would say, you know what? For you to really understand what programs are like in our organization, you should probably manage a really big program while you're building a PMO from scratch. And it took everything I had not to laugh hysterically in their face because the scope of what they wanted, the pain points they wanted addressed, were going to take a lot longer to address if I was also being distracted by running a major program. So if you find yourself in this scenario, I want to assure you that this is really common. Many of my students have come into my Impact Engine program and had that scenario on them. They just start an organization and they say, great, can you build us a PMO and also run these projects for us? And that's going to go right back to tip number two, which is yes, and. And so we can do it that way. And here's what it's going to take. Now, if you have not done that tip one, where you have clearly articulated the scope in terms of their pain points and the opportunities they need addressed and prioritized it with them so that they can see how important those things really are and when they're going to get done, you're going to have a tougher time having this conversation. That's why I'm telling you these things in this order. 
You want to make sure you're having a discussion with them about the impact that will be felt by not getting those pain points resolved soon because you're going to be busy running a project. So it's not that you can't do it. It's just that it's going to take you longer to deliver on those services and capabilities if you do. So you've just got to remember to manage expectations accordingly. And that brings us right back to the beginning of understanding how to have a good triple constraint conversation so that you can be very clear, set expectations right from the start, and make sure they don't forget that absolutely, yes and, they can have what they want and here's what it's going to take to get there. And if they don't like the answer about how long it's going to take, then it's simply in their hands to decide that you need a little bit of help which you already knew. All right, that's it for this episode. And next week, I'm going to share with you what I think the best place is to start from a services and capabilities perspective. Based on doing this kind of stuff for 25 years, I'll tell you, PMO of one in particular, here is a great place for you to start providing value so you can earn your seat at the table quickly and build credibility fast even if they have you working on a project or two on the side. Now, don't forget the Impact Engine PMO training and implementation program is open right now. There is no need to go on this journey alone when you have me and a team of your peers right by your side in the Impact Engine PMO training and implementation program. You can go step by step by step through the entire program at your own pace and join us, a small group of your peers that are building and running PMOs in organizations around the world. And yes, many of them are PMOs of one. And doing it together means you're never going to be alone on this journey again. Learn more at iepmo.com. That's iepmo.com. All right, that's it for now. Thank you so much for being a part of my impact community. And I hope you have a high impact week. Bye-bye for now.